Hello, everyone. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F. as in fellowship, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are just beginning Chapter 1, Bill's story on page 1, paragraph 1. We will be reading and commenting on that first paragraph only on page 1, which begins with, War fever ran high and ends with, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Today's readers are Terry J, Nancy R, Craig F, Colleen M, and Leah S. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, May 2nd, 2022, are 18,910 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. That's 18910. And 18,912. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, that's 18912. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Terry J. to read the OA 12 steps. Terry J. You have to star one to unmute. Sorry, was having a little trouble unmuting there. Good morning, everyone. This is Terry J. in Michigan. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Terry J. from Michigan. I will now ask Nancy R. to read the OA 12 Tradition. Good morning. This is Nancy R. in Illinois. Our traditions, one, our common welfare should come from 
come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service Um, boards, excuse me, or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy R. from Illinois. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we will be reading and commenting on the first paragraph only on page one in chapter one, Bill's story, which begins with war fever ran high and ends with I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. I will now ask Craig F. to go ahead and read that for us. Okay. This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Good morning. Bill's story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us into their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. I've been uh, taught that uh, uh, when we read Bill's story, we read it uh, first for identification. Where did I feel like Bill felt? Where did I uh, act like Bill acted? Where did I eat like Bill drank? And uh, uh, we began to, you know, in, in the doctor's opinion, we defined the illness, um, and, and now we're beginning to see it uh, in, in in the life of uh, of, of Bill. And of course, this is World War One, 
uh, that he's getting ready to go over there for. And uh, uh, the thing that always strikes me about this paragraph is that when things were just, you know, love, applause, moments sublime, intervals hilarious, he turned to liquor. Uh, in other words, they were happy, they were celebratory, everybody was hurrahing him, and, and he turned to liquor. And then when he later in the paragraph, he's already saying, I was lonely when he went over there and again turned to alcohol. Uh, and, you know, so much of my life has been like that, that uh, I uh, turned to alcohol. I mean, I turned to my, my food, my uh, uh, overeating uh, when things were great and wonderful. I was happy. I, uh, I, I turned to alcohol. I mean, I turned to food when things were uh, uh, sad, and uh, uh, when I was in mourning, I turned to to food when things when I was lonely. In other words, I turned to food uh, at at any excuse. And and another way to say that is, I am a compulsive overeater. Uh, I don't like uh, I don't like strong emotion. Uh, I don't like feeling alone, and I don't like uh, people too close on top of me. And uh, I so I've used food to push them all away. And so I ate like Bill drank. Uh, I also enjoyed adulation, uh, and I think uh, overly so because it fed my ego. And so I felt like Bill felt uh, about that that adulation. And I don't like being too lonely. So here again, I. I felt like Bill felt, and uh, uh, and so we're beginning to identify already with this man, uh, and it has um, more than the historical consequence uh, to the uh, to the program uh, to to uh, see ourselves in, in this man's uh, feelings and his and his behavior. And so, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig F. Now, although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might share their experience, too. So if you haven't shared on A Vision for You this past Friday or Monday and would like to share on the first paragraph only on page one in chapter one, Bill's story, War Fever Ran High, through I Was Very Lonely and Again Turned to Alcohol, Please press star one to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Christina J. Christina J. Larry K. Abby S. Wait a minute, Larry K. Dara L. Abby something S, I think, and Dara L. Oh, I'm getting them. Okay, anyone else? Lauren A. Lauren A. Leah S. I heard Leah S. And who else at the same time? Stephanie R. Stephanie R. Yeah. Great. Okay. I think that's enough to get us going for now. So I'll I'll take more names after this lineup. Who I wrote down are Christina J. Reba P. Larry K. Abby, either S or F, Dara L, Lauren A, Leah S, and Stephanie R. Christina J, go right ahead. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Christina J from the state of Washington. Great opening, Craig. Um, here I am. I had the fever. Uh, I was a young woman. I was going to go out and get mine, and I was so flattered when people get begin to give me applause, egging me on in my career. Um, I had great moments. I had, I had what I thought was love coming from these people. I was part of life at last. I had such a tumultuous upbringing where I wasn't part of life. I was part of nothing. We moved so much. I was never in a, <clears throat> a home or a school for more than six months, all coming up except for my last year of high school, and I was going to go out and get mine. And it started happening. And uh, in the midst of all that, I, I started my eating addiction began pretty heavily. 
Um, my mother was overweight. She had the addiction. There was a warning there for me. I saw her misery. I saw her desperate to try to look sexy and attractive for her husband, to feel, um, you know, just level and peaceful. She never was. And I was going to run from all that, you know, arguing and fighting and dishes going across the room because there was so much resentment and so much confusion in the household, no communication. I vowed I would have communication with people. So there was warnings all around me. I wasn't going to be like that, but yet I was in the food, and I would go on diets. But, you know, why? Why? I was getting everything I thought I wanted. Um, And the food was giving me the comfort. You know, I thought the food was giving me the comfort in between. But what I really didn't have was the connection to something greater than myself. I didn't have the peaceful connection. I thought I had God. I thought I had a spiritual connection but I was lonely. In the midst of all that hugs and applause and, oh, you're great, I was lonely. And over and over again, I would turn to this food and I thought, there's something wrong with my mind. And I was right, but I thought it was physiological. You know, I thought I was going to be eating uh, food that would give me the dopamine release, the serotonin release that I needed. I mean, I searched for years for that. But the bottom line here is that in my beginning years, Uh, What I was chasing, what I started to chase for almost 60 years of my life was never going to give it to me. And the food was never going to give it to me either. So this book is going to take us through and going to show us that uh, these steps and this connection to this higher power, you can have this peace today, newcomers. You can have this peace. Follow these steps and you'll begin to see that the food's down and you can connect with something bigger than yourself begin to walk a journey you never thought you'd have. Today I have that journey recovered by the grace of God one day at a time. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Christina J. from Washington. Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. When I first read this uh, story, I didn't identify in uh, so much. So thank you, God, to the sponsors and guides who showed me where my story is, just like Bill's story. Um, And for me, this paragraph shows me the beginning of Bill developing a relationship with alcohol. So, you know, I remember when I started developing my relationship with food um, because I had that effect, I liked the effect that the food produced. Um, And I remember being under a lot of pressure in university um, and and studying for exams and and all all the other deadlines. And I discovered food. I discovered the refrigerator. I discovered um, the ability to get ease and comfort um, from binging um, and then going back um, to fortify myself to do what I, I thought I needed to do. Um, And I too, you know, um, when times were good, when I was excited, I needed food to either celebrate or calm me down. When I was lonely, I needed food, I don't know, for some kind of a connection. When I was low energy, I needed food to pick me up. There was always a reason. But it was just developing this relationship, this reliance on this power. Um, And it was a false power. Um, And it went from excitement to necessity to oblivion, just like Bill. So this is such a great reminder. What, who do I turn to? Who do I turn to when um, things don't go my way? Um, And thank you, God, for this book and the guides in this program um, who show me the way, which is putting down my alcoholic foods, behaviors, ingredients, entire abstinence, and then working the steps with the purpose of accessing the true power. I was, I was like, you know, um, like there were two doors, um, and I was kept knocking on the wrong door. Um, so this program helps me find my way to the true source of ease, comfort. Um, where do I, who do I turn to, um, and um, what a better way to live? With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P from Toronto, Larry K. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for your service. And Craig, thanks for getting us started. I'm Larry Kay. I'm the uh, Recovered Compulsible Reader from Chicago. 
I'll set my timer here. Okay, so, you know, the, we're at Bill's story, and, um, you know, the past few weeks we've been, we spent quite a bit of time studying the problem as we've come to understand it in the doctor's opinion, and that's really important because we learn again about the physical allergy that ensures that we can't safely eat, and then we learned about the mental obsession that ensures that we can't keep from eating, and that's important to understand as we get to Bill's story. And for me, you know, the ultimate conclusion that I draw from that was that if I can't safely eat without falling off the cliff, you know, into a binge, and if I can't keep from eating, then I am absolutely powerless over food. And without question, my life's become unmanageable. And if it hasn't been un unmanageable enough, uh, just wait. You know, it'll become more unmanageable. So this morning, we get to examine an example of a guy who had this problem. And like any decent textbook, you know, when some facts, some proposition is presented, the author is going to back those facts up with supporting details. You know, in, in other words, we're going to, you know, here's the thesis about the allergy and the obsession. Now let's take a look at a real-life example to illustrate the point. And so enter Bill Wilson, right? And Bill's story is important because it represents what's a, a classic example of a person who had the allergy of the body, had the obsession of the mind, and we see now how each chapter of the book builds upon the previous one. And it's important to remember that in the 1930s, Bill embraced the value of sharing one story with another alcoholic. They learned of the critical importance of doing that, identification, as Craig said in order to get the, the interest and the intention of the next suffering alcoholic. And so, you know, now the big book had to be complete enough and thorough enough to do that job. Because if you're in 1939 and you're in California or New Mexico or Minnesota, wherever you are, you know, they, it wasn't possible for them to meet with you. So they needed a book to do that. And that's why it was ultimately decided that Bill's story would be placed at, you know, the very first chapter of the book so that another alcoholic, as Craig said, could identify with the way Bill thought, the way Bill drank, how he ate, right? And when he did, perhaps he's gonna be persuaded to implement the steps. And not only that, we can see how Bill made a recovery from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. We might just be able to come to believe in the hope that just like Bill, that if he could recover from this condition, then maybe we can too. And the last I'll say is when I first read Bill's story, instead of identifying in, I did everything I could to identify out. I mean, it wasn't the 1930s and so forth, so blah, blah, blah. But it was helpful for me to look at the way Bill thinks and the way Bill acts and the way Bill drinks and identify in. So with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay from Illinois. Abby, and let us know, is it S or F? for your last initial. Hello, good morning. This is Abby S. Um, from Michigan. Thank you S so much. Sam, Abby? Yes, that's correct. Okay, thank you. Go right ahead. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for the shares so far. Grateful to be here. Uh, what stood out to me was here was love and applause and I was part of life at last. And it reminded me of still in recovery sometimes how I can get off track by um, chasing after love, applause, attention, recognition, validation, approval, and how it runs me right into resentment and it runs me right into um you know, feeling like life isn't going my way, which ends up separating me from my fellows and God. And so, um, and then the last part, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Like, I, I can get those real highs and lows. And for me, like the, the ideal for me, like with my, attitude and my affect is just kind of to stay in the middle um when i get those highs and lows which i do every day 
I'm grateful to have the steps, my like prayer, meditation, 10 steps and service to bring me back in. And um, I just wanted to touch on too, like I can sometimes even get that in program, like wanting to be, like wanting to be heard and recognized. And, you know, sometimes when my name doesn't get out there and I'm trying and I can't, I can't be heard or like, you know, like comparing myself to people who have done special editions and, you know, I can't like be chasing after like the fame and the recognition. And my, my job is to be of service and however God would have me be of service. And I don't, um, I'm grateful when I'm asked to speak, but I can really like take it overboard um, in that desire or chase for almost like fame or recognition. And so I just wanted to touch on that. I was hesitant to even say that, but I just feel like I know I'm not alone, that there's some people out there that maybe can identify. And so, um, yeah, I'm just sharing sharing what came up with me today and sometimes when I share these defects or whatever is going on with me like it's a prayer in itself to be able to let God remove it and identify it I need to be here and with that I pass and I wish everyone a great day thank you Abby S from Michigan Sarah L Uh, Great. Thanks so much for your service. I'm Dara L. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Philadelphia. And um, just such beauty in this paragraph because it explains so many things to me about myself and my disease. And, you know, what's standing out is really how um, what I see in this is that, you know, food was always the solution for me. Like it was always the thing that made life better. And, you know, for a long time, I thought that food was my problem. And so I didn't understand why, like, if I just put food down, I didn't start to feel better on the inside and my life didn't get better. And here, you know, just in this very first paragraph, we have Bill, um, you know, like associating his drug, you know, alcohol with all these great feelings with love and applause and moments sublime and intervals hilarious, you know, and, um, and then he goes, he gets lonely and he turns to, you know, he turns to his drug again. And that like is my story, right? Is that every time that I picked up food, um, there was an association with like, you know, good stuff, which is kind of crazy because, you know, like everyone else would look at all of the things that food cost me, all of the, you know, the, like just the devastation. I mean, my disease was pretty disgusting and, um, you know, and so people would see that and I would see that and I would think if I could just be done with it, you know, like this, this, is this problem, if I could just get over this problem, but no, for me, the beginning of healing is understanding that like, actually it's the thing that I'm worshiping. It's the thing that makes all the pain go away. It's the thing that makes me feel normal and able to function in the world. And if I don't have something else that's going to fill that void, I'm doomed to go back to food. But also, like for me, the eating disorder saved my life. I mean, in abstinence is when I get suicidally depressed, untreated abstinence is when I get suicidally depressed, is when I start to feel like I'll never again know the purpose of life. And so, you know, for me, my eating disorder, I believe, saved my life. It saved me. It rescued me. It did for me everything that today God does for me. And God does so much more. And there are no no negative consequences from worshiping something that is real and true and vulnerable and encourages me to be more authentic. But I needed food um, until I had access to that power, um, which saves my life on a daily basis. But if I forget that food was my salvation, um, you know, I'll stop doing this work. I'll stop, you know, I'll I'll think, oh, you know, I've been abstinent for a little while. And so I'm done now, you know, and and that's what I've thought a number of times before. And it did not work out well for me. So um, anyways, really glad to be here and really glad to be, um, you know, identifying with the founder of this beautiful, these beautiful 12 steps, um, and I'll pass. Thank you, Dara L. Um, 
Next is going to be Lauren A. But before Lauren A. shares, I thought I would let anyone who got on late know what we're sharing on. And that is the first paragraph in the first chapter on the first page of um, Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book. And it's Bill's story, War Fever Ran High. And Lauren A., go right ahead. Thank you. This is Lauren A. in Minnesota. Um, good morning, everyone. Thanks to everybody who has already shared and everybody that's made this reading possible. This first paragraph of Bill's story, I, the only thing I have underlined is I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Well, a normal person, when they're lonely, they would turn to another person. They might go talk to someone. They might make a phone call. They might want to write a letter. But he turns to alcohol which doesn't make any sense. Um, alcohol doesn't make one less lonely, and food doesn't make me less lonely. In fact, it's involved in a, in a cycle. Lauren, Lauren, you sound yes. like you're underwater. Can, uh, that I heard, but maybe oh. you could reposition yourself. Okay, is this no, better? Sorry. Yes, yes, go right ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, so I get into the cycle of being really lonely and overeating and overeating because I'm lonely and I, you know, I absolutely need to get out of that cycle and turn to God for any negative or positive feeling um, rather than food. And that's all I have. I'll pass. Thanks so much, Lauren A. Leah S. Thank you so much. My name is Leah S. Recovered and so grateful in Brooklyn, New York. Worry uh, fever ran high. So Bill is saying what the circumstances is around him, what what is going on around him. And me in my life, what was going on around me in the world, in, in my personal private life. And I found myself so many times where I was in a gathering and I would think to myself, oh gosh, I am so lonely. Now, how could someone be so lonely when I was squashed between people? And that's exactly where Bill was. And what did I do? I had conflicting human emotions and I did not know how to deal with them. And this there, by the grace of God, this was where the progression of my disease, my disease was taking forth and taking forth in real, um, in real quickness, you know. Um, I found that I felt very good when I started eating all those foods that were killing me, that were hurting my body, that were clouding my mind from 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 really seeing the truth and and again and and you know what happens after you you consume those kinds of foods, the feeling leaves you, and then you feel, oh my God, I want to feel good again, and then I go again and again, and that's the progression of my disease, where I wanted to eat and eat more and eat more and did not think of the circumstances or the horrible consequences that would follow. And um, so, yeah, these were conflicting emotions, human emotions that I always had. This is my disease. I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that there is another way to live life and to, to be with life. And, and, and I learned them through these, um, these fellowship and definitely through the, uh, the 12 steps. And um, with that, I will pass. Thanks, Leah S. from Brooklyn, New York. Stephanie R. Hi, I'm Stephanie R., a compulsive overeater from Missouri. I really related initially to the very part that said um, we were, uh, how I was trying to actually fit into life. For all of my life, I felt like I was an outsider. I felt, even as a young child, that 
I just was on the outside looking in, and for some reason I got some kind of just peace when I turned to food. It it dulled things. It made things tolerable. It seemed like my senses were on high alert all the time. And I remember just going through life um, wanting to fit in but not always feeling like I was a part of anything. I went to – people would have parties for me, and I literally would not show up because I just didn't want to feel like an outsider at an event for myself. And I didn't go. I didn't go, and I stayed in my room, and I overate by myself and wondered why I wasn't a part of the group when I chose not to be a part of the group. And then even when I went through graduate schools and graduated with advanced degrees, and really had people saying, oh, my goodness, I can't imagine that you did this. I felt like I didn't earn this, that for some reason it just wasn't happening to me, um, that I was a fraud, that I was doing something that shouldn't be done, and so I turned to the food to squelch those emotions. I am a person now who is recovered and in a state of understanding that the food throughout my life was was such a crutch, but it made me feel so unworthy of everything good in life. It dulled my senses, but it dulled my awareness that God was blessing me in so many ways that I thought just weren't supposed to be mine. So when I come into programming and experience recovery, I'm actually at a place where I can sit quiet my mind and say, thank you, God, that today I accept the gifts you give me and that food is something that I use to nourish my body but not to dull my senses. And I didn't know how to do that until I came into program. I didn't know how to live a life where I could fit in. It was coming into these rooms that I really learned how to be a part of a group and then I was able to put it out in the rest of my life and I'm surrounded by people that I want to be around because I'm not in the food and I'm not hiding from who I am. And I'm so very grateful that I found this program and found this serenity that allows me to say, I'm here, I sit in this room and I claim my spot because I am a child of a great being that loves me completely. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie R. from Missouri. Well, if you haven't shared on A Vision for You this past Friday or Monday and would like to share on the first paragraph only on page one in chapter one, Bill's story, War Fever Ran High Through I Was Very Lonely and Again Turned to Alcohol, please press star one to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Linda D. Linda D. Mary Ann. Okay, wait one second. Ilana P. Wait, was there a... Oh, dear. I missed it. Terry and Ilana. I think I missed somebody, but um, we only had room for four, and those were the ones I managed to get down. So Linda D., Russ M., Terry, and Ilana P. Linda D., go right ahead. Good morning, everybody. It's Linda D. Recovered but not cured in Connecticut. I can really uh, relate to that first paragraph in this way. Uh, I know what it is to be very young, to want to be loved, to be very lonely to turn to food. I have a very clear picture of myself at seven, I would say, looking into my grandma's cracker bowl and uh, wondering, why am I doing this? I didn't know. I didn't know for years and years that I had a deadly disease. It's only the program that taught me that, and I was a lot older. I was very fortunate in a very peculiar way to uh, have this disease shatter my entire life. I was 21 or 22 
must have been 21. And um, I had nothing left, nothing at all. I won't go into why now. I had a lot of promise as a, as a young person. I didn't even recognize that for a long time. But I was shattered. So I know what it is to be in a war. This war. I have a deadly disease. It taught me that I'm going to have to swear I was a piece of shit. I always would be. I would always fail. And that was that. And this program, these steps, and the magnificent divine entity that runs this entire universe could become, it sounds odd, but my best non-human friend, my guide, my reason for getting up in the morning that empowers me to grow and change. And now I have the unbelievable eight years and a little bit recovered. How anybody could go from being that shattered and an atheist at that time to this is amazing beyond all words. If I can do this, you can do this. And yes, it takes work. And yes, I need a lot of help. You know what? I still do. I get help from everybody here. I get help from my sponsor, from those who are very close to me. And from those I don't even know yet. Time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Linda D. from Connecticut. Russ M., Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, family. Russ, I'm recovered from post overeater outside of Philly. And look, I'm not the the sharpest uh, tool in the shed here. And sometimes when I read this first part, I'm like, what's he getting at? Like his writing, Bill's writing, you know, he's very, I don't know. The way he writes is colorful or whatever you want to say. He's very dramatic in the way he writes. I'm like, what's he trying to figure out? And what comes to my core is that he is trying to figure out. Like he he, he turned out for. He's telling why, you know, and and it seemed to me there's you know there's excitement and all that, but there's also pressure, and that's what I identified with. <clears throat> Yet, you know, that's not the cause of why I'm the way I am. So just uh, I'm a little scattered here in the way I'm thinking, but. You know, is it because my grandfather was a gangster and he put me in a lot of different things, a lot of different spots as a kid, and he was an alcoholic, and my other grandfather was an alcoholic, my father was an alcoholic, you know, his addiction runs rampant in my family. Is that the reason why I'm the way I am? Why I identify so deeply with Bill? Um, Who knows? I don't think so. I think that's an excuse for me to say poor Russ. And when I look at this, this has always been on me. That pressure has been on me forever. And as a little kid, I couldn't deal with life. But the the, the point I'm getting at is that it clicked in this today, just today, five year, five or so years in program, that that pressure that was on me wasn't necessarily all about life. It was the way my nervous system is wired. And the obsession was growing in me since I'm about as long as I can remember. And I want to put an excuse on it. And, and, you know, I didn't know. I was ignorant of all these things. So I was trying to figure it out. And food was always it. So, you know, uh, I did. I turned to food because that's what numbed it. And, um, you know, I, I know I'm confusing in this share. It's just I have to get this off my chest because it hit me, it hit me in my heart that, you know, I'm trying to figure I wasted more time trying to figure this crap out and destroyed more things in my life trying to figure it out. But just screw it. I don't need to figure it out. I have this obsession. It's the way I'm wired. And the solution is the 12 steps and going, enlarging and, and just growing my spiritual life, trusting in God and uh, surrendering everything to him. So now that I, would, you know, I went upside down here. Uh, just thanks for letting me 
express that and have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Russ M from outside Philly. Terry, and give us the first initial of your last name. I missed it. Was there a Terry after Russ? I think that was me. It was Mary M. Oh, great. Mary M. Go right ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for your service work and uh, and all the wonderful shares today. Um, what stuck out with me is this the last sentence, which a lot of people had already shared about. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Um, that uh, that stuck out at me, um, and and that's a lot of uh, a lot of reasons why I ate compulsively um, because I was lonely. And um, and I know today that food, um, like many other things, is a faulty power source. And um, so now that, you know, I've been in for a bit and worked the steps, working with the sponsor, and, um, and, and this, this meeting is just uh, a godsend, um, really has helped me so much. Um, now um, I turn to my higher power uh, for for help. Um, you know, I uh, uh, somebody had shared about a, a nervous disposition, and uh, and I know that a lot of us share that, and I I have it. I am just my wires are crossed, and um, you know I know today that uh, you know that the warning is is that I can't I can't turn to food. Uh, that's just not an option for me. Um, and so I'm not confused about that. And so, uh, you know, I have to deal with life. I have to deal with life and, and uh, use the fellows and uh, my higher power to get me through um, all the, what it talks about in the book, the trials and tribulations. So um, thanks again. And thanks for letting me share. Mary M., if you're still unmuted, do you want to tell us where you're from? Oh, yes, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Thanks, Mary M. from Chicago. Elena P., I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, good morning, Rebecca. It's Ilana P. from yeah. Maryland. Hi. Um, yeah, I wanted to share this morning. Uh, I've loved all the shares, gotten a lot out of the meeting, and especially uh, the first reader's share uh, about how uh, at this point we are um, trying to identify in with Bill. Um, and like others, I was first taken by um, the sentence, I was part of life at last. Uh, and I remember I was, uh, well, I was a middle child, so I was I was, quote unquote, the lost child, um, very shy, hidden corners, afraid of everything. Um, and after my parents divorced when I was 11, my mother picked me <laughs> to stay up late with her and watch movies and have snacks. And I think that was really, um, at least in my memory, I don't remember much. That was the first time that I really associated food with with comfort, with being special, um, being different, uh, being accepted when I never felt accepted before. And, um, and, and that continued for a while, and then it didn't. And I was back where I started with um, feeling that I didn't fit in and that loneliness that people have talked about. Uh, it consumed me for years and years and years. And yes, I did turn to food because of the loneliness, but I turned to food for everything. I just wanted relief. Um, in the beginning, it wasn't like that. In the beginning, just a little extra food, you know, just a little extra something to make me feel like I existed. Uh, but towards the end, it was like, I want oblivion. Oblivion is what I want. And if I could kill myself, I would, um, because that's, uh, that's where food brought me uh, to my knees. Um, and I am just so grateful that we're reading this again, because 
yes, I totally identify with how Bill thought, how he acted, and how he drank. And and I know that uh, that's the first step for me. I mean, we, yes, we have concentrated on the doctor's opinion, but the first step is actually seeing, oh, yes, I'm like that. You know, I have to concede to my innermost self uh, that I am powerless over food, that I'm powerless over my whole life, really, with a, without a higher power. So I'm grateful to be here. Thanks, everyone. I pass. Thank you, Ilana P. from Maryland. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 18,915. That's 18915. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Colleen M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Hi, this is Colleen M. from Maryland. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditations what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationships with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet us you surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.